the entire mahabharat is considered to be an exploration into dharma we explained that dharma means that by which the world is sustained that is called as dharma that harmonious way of living by which society remains integrated society progresses along with the individual and at the same time it provides us a means by which we integrate our own personalities purify our mind and intellect and by that gain knowledge to remove our delusions by which we recognize our absolute infinite nature big sentence i know because if you read the sanskrit dictionary there are three pages with three columns each giving the meaning of dharma and slowly slowly will expound even throughout mahabharat it is said that the way of dharma is very difficult to understand as society becomes more and more complex naturally we start making more complex rules also all rules regulations laws in the country are meant for our protection so that a society at large can move ahead progress ahead without conflict accidents without difficulties and therefore very often it is also translated as dharma means the way of proper living so all these meanings of dharma is there the story of mahabharat most of you are familiar with but briefly for those who are not gurudev has given in the introduction of the first chapter the entire story of the mahabharat so beautifully in a very crisp manner so for those of you who do not know mahabharat or not familiar with mahabharat or still have got some vague doubts about mahabharat because these days we love to glorify hmm, the underdog the losers poor people because we consider ourselves to be very very poor yeah so poor duryodhana poor karna no? and this arjuna hmm? we are jealous of hmm? but throughout the mahabharat it becomes very very clear nobody is necessarily perfect amongst human beings there is good and bad in everyone 
Even when I interview our children who have to be admitted in the school, and our school, which is so value-based school, our CIRS, I point out to the children before only that in the best of places, you can always find something bad. And in the worst of places, you can also find something good. In the best of people, you can find something or even a trace of wickedness and evil or some faults. And in the worst of people also, you can find some goodness. It is not that Duryodhana is totally evil, that there was no goodness in Duryodhana. It is not that Arjuna or Yudhishthir was so perfect that there was no flaw in them. But you know, in a white sheet, when there is a drop of tea on it, it stands out glaring at you. And on a black, dirty, filthy, oh, let's say, on an indigo blue, filthy tone jeans, even if it's smeared with everything, at least there's one patch which shows the blueness. This is how our minds think. And therefore, these days, we are all into rewriting the Mahabharata, rewriting the Ramayana to show whether these great authors, when they wrote, they were not writing to make a bestseller. They were not creating a sensation. They had only the welfare of humanity in their mind. They were not just writing history. As Gurudev says, that these epics, Itihasas, Ramayana and Mahabharata, are not mythology, nor is it just symbolic mysticism. In fact, it is not even just history. He used to say it is his story. And his story is your story. Thus, whatever characters we meet outside in life, Whatever good or evil we see outside in life, when we look within ourselves, we will also find traces of goodness and a bulk of evil or the other way around. But we find what is outside is inside. What is inside is also outside. To take Mahabharata and Ramayana as mere symbolic representation of your mind or mere history also would be to limit its scope. Our Rishis have clearly pointed out that that which we see in the macrocosm, in the universe, the same happens in the microcosm. See the picture that the scientists have drawn of the solar system and see the picture of an atom. The macro and the micro. 
is similar. So same way, Mahabharat can be also taken subjectively and also hmm, historically. But the history is not pointed out to us as Gurudev very often used to say, to show man that we never learn and we keep repeating the same history again and again. If we just take it symbolically, then it's sheer practical application of how it molded society is lost. If we take it merely as a history, then it becomes irrelevant to us. Therefore, Ramayana and Mahabharat has to be taken holistically. It envelops the entire universe, the entire society, the past, present and the future. And also, it accommodates each individual and the very subjective experiences that we have. About 5,000 years ago, where society had become so complex, population had increased, a civilization that had flourished in India for centuries and had grown in its science, its knowledge, in its prosperity. And today we call it as a poor country, even today it is not really poor. Naturally, such a complex society and wherever over a period of time materialism sets in, selfishness, ego, as we mentioned in Bhagwan Shankaracharya's commentary, that there was such a decline of dharma. At that time, you can see the conflict between two families, cousins. We have on one side, very briefly, the noble Pandavas, who have lost their father Pandu, who was the king, but his noble, their noble mother Kunti have, has brought them up, not with vengeance, not with grievances, not with self-pity, why me, why me, why me? But courageously she has brought them into the lion's den. Her brother, older brother-in-law, Pandu's older brother Dhritarashtra, who was blind and therefore could not be the king and the kingship was handed over to the younger brother Pandu. Dhritarashtra always had this grievance that because he was blind, he couldn't be the king officially. Though really speaking, he only was sitting on the throne because Pandu being cursed went to the forest and died there. So Dhritarashtra, but again, it was not entirely his throne. So he felt always deprived and this blind king, Dhritarashtra, the very word is name 
that they were called by eventually Dhritarashtra, one who is firmly holding on to the nation. Means firmly holding on to his throne. No? Just like any one of you become presidents and committee members and board members or of a company or an organization. You know how difficult it is for you that you might be old, you might not be performing. Everybody wants you out. But you will not want to leave it. Dhritarashtra, that is what it's called. No? Holding on to your position. Holding on adamantly to your desires. And therefore, a person with blind attachment is Dhritarashtra. And their grand uncle, the noble Bhishmacharya, who sacrificed the throne for his father's desire to marry a fisherman's daughter. And that fisherman had clearly said about his ambitions that his daughter's children should become the king even though Bhishma was the first son of the king Shantanu. But Mahabharat points out to us a mistake that happens generations before the outcome many generations afterwards magnifies into a disaster. When the rightful person Bhishmacharya was not given the throne, after that, one after another, disaster hit the Kuru dynasty. Now, the Mahabharata story is very, very vast. But Bhishmacharya, who was supposed to be the king, promised that my stepbrothers can take the kingdom. I will not even marry so that my children will not become competitors of the next generation. What all they did for sacrificing for the nation. This blind king was married to a very noble lady Gandhari. And she was married to a blind person. So she decided to blindfold herself so that she could see the world according to her husband's viewpoint. Now, as a wife, it's something very, very noble that she did. But as I said, Mahabharata is an exploration into Dharma. Hmm? On one side, you see something very noble. If both father and mother are blind, then the children who are not looked after, seen properly, when you say seen properly, how do they develop? All the su-su-sus become do-do-do. Su-su means good. Do-do-do means dushta. Become evil. And therefore, Duryodhana, Dushasana, hmm? yeah? do, 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 do. Hmm? 
and very often parents transfer their weaknesses as well as their strength, their ambitions and their desires, their dreams and aspirations and very often what they cannot achieve themselves, they want to achieve it through their children. Dhritarashtra and Gandhari tried to bring up their children but they all turned out to be, most of them turned out to be selfish, crazy for power and position, feeling always deprived and even when Kunti brought her children back from the forest, Yudhishthir being the first born, that too also of Pandu, who was the king, naturally became, was supposed to be the heir to the throne. Not only because he was the oldest, he was popular amongst the people. And he was made the crowned prince. On sheer public demand and the demand of the ministers and the wise men of the court. But Duryodhan could not bear. His father lost out, now he is also losing out. And blinded Dhritarashtra was blindly holding on to his chair and wishing that his son would become the king, but yet had to make Yudhishthir the king and you find Dhritarashtra always wavering. Hmm? Now he seems to be very this, yes, 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 this is right. But what to do? My son, my son. Hmm? All compromises because of his attachment to his son. An attachment to the son is not out of love. Hmm? It is because he is dependent to fulfill his dreams through his son. This is called as attachment. From childhood, Duryodhan has tried to kill whom he always thought was his opponent and that is Bhima. Tried to kill Bhima and the worst was that they tried to burn the whole Pandu family, all the five Pandua brothers in the house of Lath. They escaped from there, lived one year in hiding because they were young princes, Dhritarashtra ruled the throne, they could be killed anytime they lived in hiding and finally when Draupadi's Swayamvar took place, where Draupadi was going to choose her husband, there is where Arjuna emerged as the best archer hmm? and got married to Draupadi and there too also life's incident. They were obedient to the mother's word. Mother was doing puja. They said, look, look, mother, what, what prize have we brought? And she said, as always, share it with everyone. Yeah, it belongs to all five of you. And thus Draupadi became the, five, the wife of five brothers. When they returned back, meanwhile, Duryodhan was made the crown prince. Now he said, this is not fair, not fair. Finally, the kingdom was divided into two. And very cleverly, the central government, Hastinapur, was kept for Duryodhan. 
Khandaprast, a desert land, was given to Yudhishthir. And from that time onwards, after Draupadi Swayamvar, Krishna, who was a cousin of the Pandavas, Kunti was his aunt, his father's sister. Knowing about the Pandus, he became the friend of the Pandavas. Lord is always the friend of those who are righteous. And throughout Mahabharat, it is said, where there is dharma, there is victory. Where there is dharma, there is victory. Why? Because where there is dharma, there is Krishna. And where Krishna is there, where the Lord is there, there will be victory. Finally, from a desert, a paradise was made because even there Krishna said, don't sit and grieve, why this to me? Whatever you have been given, you create out of it a paradise. And they created such a paradise that Duryodhan became envious of that. And finally, he invited Yudhishthir for a game of dice. And don't say that Yudhishthir, no. Oh, gambled away everybody. He did not want to go for that game, but it was customary that the king who does the Rajasuya Yagya is victorious not only over the various you know, nations around him, but also in the game of dice. It was kind of a ritual. He knew that this was some form of deceit that or some form of deceit is going to happen. But when you play and gamble, even if it is just playing the game, you get so lost in winning the game that you do not know what you lose. In this game, it is not only Yudhishthir who was the loser, because the one who loses does not know how where to stop, and one who wins does not know where to stop. In spite of their cheating, they, Yudhishthir, one by one, gave away to the Kauravas, knowing that they are also cheating. Everything, his entire kingdom, his entire wealth, also he put his brothers on stake and himself also. Even up till there, they would have stopped. Duryodhan would have stopped. Duryodhan would have the entire kingdom with the Pandavas as their his slaves. But when greed takes over, he says, I want your wife Draupadi also. Put her on stake. If you win, everything is back, your, uh, everything is back to you. If you lose, Draupadi is mine. And Yudhishthir lost Draupadi. And even though she was lost, the treatment that they gave to Draupadi in the middle of the court, in front of all the elders, and everyone sat there helpless 
And that is when Krishna thought that where even the stalwarts of society, the noble people, were so helpless that they could not stand up for dharma, then dharma has declined to the lowest levels. Still according to the game that they played again, finally Draupadi, her condition, Dhritarashtra was frightened. He said, okay, all gave back. They again called them for a game of dice, knowing that they are going to lose. But nobody knows that Yudhishthir was doing all this because he was already told by Ved Vyasa that there is going to be a deadly war like never before, where millions are going to die and you will also be the instrument of it because you will have to fight the war. And Yudhishthir had promised that he would try to avert this war by not irritating his cousins by any way. And what sacrifice Yudhishthir had to do and what sacrifice these four brothers had to do and Draupadi had to do that finally they lost the game and 13 years they had to remain in exile living as ascetics. And that too also, last year has to be incognito and the only way they could be incognito in hiding is that they would all become kind of servants and kings and princes becoming servants. And the worst was for Arjuna because he was such a hero, his posters were everywhere. Wherever he went, the marks of arrows on his body. And those days, as I told you yesterday, men didn't cover their body that much. Just like nowadays, the film heroes, since they've got a body to show, everywhere they're showing their bodies. You know? The very marks on his body of arrows would show that he is a warrior and it would be suspicious. And if they were found, they had to go again 13 years into exiles and incognito the last year. Arjuna had to take a form of a eunuch for a mature man like Arjuna hmm, to sit and teach dancing and all that to hmm, King Virat's daughters and then be treated and teased by the men and the women. Can you imagine how degrading it must have been for Arjuna? Why I'm telling this portion is then you'll understand Gurudev's commentary. And finally, when the 13-year period was over and they were, they were back, now asking for half that kingdom, which was rightfully the full kingdom was theirs. Duryodhan refused. Krishna as an ambassador of peace went back and forth. Finally, ready to sacrifice the kingdom said, finally, give only five villages, five houses. But Duryodhana said, why are you asking something which is not yours? I will not even give a land that stands on the pit head. Either go away or come into the battlefield. Finally, the war was declared. This was not a war between hmm, two people fighting for a property. 
The Pandavas were not because they were ready to even sacrifice. Therefore, never ever use the Mahabharat and the Bhagavad Gita for your family feuds. Oh, you know, Krishna said, fight for your rights. Krishna said, fight for that which is right, not your rights. That he was ready to sacrifice for the peace of the country. Don't ever use that. How often continuously in Indian society you will hear that. Father has made a will and the children keep on fighting over it. My right, my right, my right. Are for peace, sacrifice whatever you have to sacrifice. And you can see that the Pandavas were ready to sacrifice the kingdom. They sacrificed their life for peace and harmony. This was not a battle between, not at least from the Pandava side, for property. It was not for kingship. This battle now was for a principle, for an ideal, for that which is right. It was not just for themselves, for that which is right. Therefore, it was dharma. Others is dharma yod nowadays, you know, battle for religion. Where you kill innocent people, that is not the type of battle. It's important to understand this. If you understand, then the teachings of the Gita, just like the jewel embedded in a beautiful caste, hmm, shines forth. Hmm. The Bhagavad Gita shines forth. Finally, the war was declared and the two armies gathered into the battlefield. Thank you for tuning in to this episode by the Chinmaya Mission. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing. If you're looking for exceptional and detailed content on the Bhagavad Gita and how Lord Krishna's advice to Arjuna is relevant to the hurdles you face today, or understanding your mind, or explanations on Hindu scriptures in easy-to-understand English, the Chinmaya Mission YouTube channel is the place to be. All links are in the description.